Hello and welcome to That's So Craven. We are now streaming live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Twitch. Make sure you follow us on all social media and subscribe to be notified when a live recording starts. Please, please, please share That's So Craven with your Fulham friends to keep our community growing. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and come on you whites. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire, mind and senses purified. Freed from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under. We're here before the game against Chelsea, the second time we take on Chelsea in a matter of weeks. And as we have here said, the battle for SW6. Fulham getting the getting the win against Chelsea last time out. Can we do it again for the first time since 1977? Uh, here to discuss it all, we have Sam. How are we, Sammy? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. And Elton, how are we going? Yep, good, thank you. Very good. So, guys, as I mentioned, it's been uh, just a couple of weeks since we played Chelsea last. Uh, Chelsea since then have bought pretty much every player in Europe. Uh, Sammy, obviously, we you've been very confident about our, our chances against Chelsea from the very beginning, even before we played them the first time around in September, which got cancelled. Uh, how are you feeling going into the second one, knowing that Chelsea have bought so many new players of a pretty high standard? Hmm. Confidence. Confidence is a bit of a strong word. I'm not sure if I would have ever said confident. I would have said uh, I anticipated it a lot because I wanted to see the scrap because I had faith in us. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because we're literally playing, or it almost feels like we're going to be playing a completely different team. Um, they've really bulked out in some areas. Some areas still have a bit of uncertainty. I feel very differently about this game as well as opposed to the previous one that we had. The previous one I was so up for and I was really kind of like gagging at the bit just to kind of like see the spectacle. And now I am a little bit more cautious. I'm a little bit more jaded. I'm not necessarily more concerned, but I I, I, I kind of don't really know how to feel because I feel like, uh, I feel like, I, yeah, I just, I just don't really know. It's a bit of a, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit torn. A bit, I, yeah, Dad, you say things. <laughs> well, may, maybe what you feel is like you've landed one, one punch on a bully, and you just know he's coming back after you. Little bit, little bit, yeah. Also, as well, <laughs> we've okay. Also, as well, like we've come off like three not great results, and they've also come off three not really great results. So I'm not really sure who's got the momentum going into this one. Well, I actually think, um, whether or not you're inviting me to, to think and speak, Jack, but I actually think that I feel that we're sort of fortunate again. Some people may not think that, but, you know, how many players have they signed? Maybe 10 or seven or eight significant ones, 350 yeah. million pounds spent or thereabouts. And not all of those players are going to be in London right now. And over the course of the next two or three weeks, they're going to get rolled out and given a turn. And the number of players who are actually going to feature in this this Friday fixture is minimal, surely. Mm. So <laughs> I, I figure that in in a month's time, they are going to they could be a handful just at skill level. They're going to be a handful, and we possibly dodged a bullet on that. There is one player though that I'm very stressed about. Over to you, Jack. Yeah, well. Uh, I mean, it, it's quite interesting. Let's have a quick look through here. 
Uh, obviously, this is the the details of the game. So it's a Friday night in the UK, but for us over here in Australia, it's a 4 a.m. start in WA, 7 a.m. over east. Uh, what's that? I think in South Australia, 5.30 a.m. kickoff. Brisbane, I think, is two hours from us, so 6 yeah, a.m. kickoff. Um, so an early start for us, but I guarantee we're going to be getting up and about for that one. Quick look at the table. Obviously, um, it tells a bit of a story of the season so far, the fact that Fulham currently sitting in seventh. Chelsea struggling a little bit, only one game behind us, but um, still sitting in tenth. It was a different story when they had a couple of games in hand and it looked like you know, it was all down to the fact that they had those games in hand, the reason they were so far down the table. But they really haven't been picking up the points that the other teams have. And uh, it's, it's pretty packed there now. Between sixth and tenth, you've only got two points in it. But it's quite obvious that Chelsea aren't currently a team sitting in that top five who who have mm. put a bit of space between themselves and the chasing pack. Um, Sam, you mentioned a little bit before about Chelsea's recent fixtures and results. Um, <clears throat> sort of similar to to Fulham here. Uh, I've got one of those icons wrong with a draw against Sunderland. Um, but you can see, you know, Fulham in the league at least had a couple of losses there to Tottenham and Newcastle after the Chelsea win. Uh, in the league, Chelsea have have struggled a bit. They've only got that one win against Crystal Palace, and you know mm. we saw what kind of team Crystal Palace are when we played them at the uh, at the end of December. Um, admittedly, in there they've had to play Man City twice and Liverpool as well, so they wouldn't yeah. be expecting you know big wins. They're quite tough games, but they're on a really poor run of form, and there's a lot of pressure on Graham Potter at the moment. And uh, you know we we saw we, I think we were all kind of surprised that he actually managed to last and not get not get sacked after losing that game to Fulham. Um, I don't think he's going to be 100% certain of his position if he loses again to Fulham based on his recent results. Um, mm. So, guys, let's talk about the Fulham lineup, the expected Fulham lineup. So uh, this this was made, um, you know, yesterday. So obviously we have had a couple of players come in. But then again, as we've sort of said, you know, someone like Lukic, for example, who we'll talk about later, I only flew out to to Fulham yesterday. So realistically, with a Friday night game flying out on a Tuesday, is he going to be a starter? I wouldn't have thought so. So I'd say this is probably more likely going to be the lineup we go with on the weekend. So just to walk through it, Leno in goal, uh, Robinson, Ream, Diop and Tete in defence, Polina partnering Reed in the central defensive midfield, going with Willian on the left, Solomon on the right, Polina at the central attacking midfield position and Mitrovic up front. Dad, your thoughts on any potential changes? Uh, uh, we spoke a lot about Solomon last time around. Do you think he finally gets his start? Well, I was I was about to say he's a shoe-in for us and I think a lot of fans would feel the same way, but who knows? Um, you know, tactically or even just uh, from Silva's perspective, he may not be ready. I doubt it, but he may consider him not yet ready. Mm. Um, I can't imagine William not starting. I think you're right about Harrison Reed. It's, I, you know, if you if you if you look at all the other players that Silver's brought in, as I think I've commented on before, he seems very set in his ways about learning the Fulham way before mm. you actually make a start. And I'm sure Lukic will be part of that sausage machine. Um, I think Diop, regardless of his mistake against Sunderland, I think he had a 
relatively good game on 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 balance, and I'd still <coughs> probably prefer to see him in in uh, as a starting as central uh, defender uh, ahead of Tosin. So yeah, I think I think Leno's pretty safe, and I think Robinson's pretty safe. Yeah, mm. Sammy, your thoughts on the the lineup? Do you expect Lukic to come in? Um, probably for Harrison Reed. Do you think his his obvious quality is enough to get him a start in the team, even after a couple of days trading with the team? Mm, I don't think he's going to start. I reckon uh, we're probably going to play it safe and um, select Reed in that role, just because that's a more established way of playing for us and playing against Chelsea. It's a game that we want to win, and um, yeah, we don't necessarily want to be playing like too adventurously. The only thing that I am cautious of, and I hate to say this and bring this to light, but because I love him and I really, really want to see him, but I don't think this is the game for Solomon to start, just purely because of, um, uh, is it Mudrick? Mudrick? Yeah. Mudrick? Yeah. Yeah, Mudrick on that left wing. Um, Really, really pacey, um, completely dual-footed. Um, what he's been doing for Chelsea as well is he's been drawing a lot of um, players in from that left-hand side and basically causing like lots of players to actually go over to there. And then essentially he can he's so quick and so skillful that if it were me, I'd probably be starting BDR there just to have a bit more defensive beefing in that area. That would probably be my only change if I'm thinking really, really tactically here. Other than that, I think that's that's the lineup that we're going to have. But I, but I think, I yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Jack, you go. No, I was going to say I, I think it's actually not the worst call. I, I get the idea of potentially going a little bit more defensively. I I just think um, that's that's Fulham thinking from two seasons ago where oh. we bulk out our defence to make sure we minimise how many goals we lose by. But we're a different team now and a different beast where you've got mm-hmm. someone like Polina who can just play someone like him completely out of the game. And we, we saw, you know, obviously the really, really skillful players will will dominate us. But uh, he's going to be coming up against Kenny Tete, who, as some people might have seen that stat floating around, is the he's only been dribbled past twice all season he has the highest um, a completed tackle percentage of any right back in Europe. He, mm. He's like the most informed defender in Europe at the moment in right back. And he's coming up against someone who he's definitely shown flashes, but I haven't seen enough from Madrid from his 20 minutes or 30 minutes he played against Liverpool to think that he's a world beater. And we have to also remember that Solomon and Madrid played together at Shakhtar yeah. and Solomon was keeping him out of the team. Mm. Um, so it's not like this guy is, I mean, Zhao Felix, who I thought was superb and I'm really glad isn't playing against us this time around. Uh, he looked like someone who could really make a difference. Mudrik looks kind of skillful and quick, but I'd back Tete with his one-on-one ability to actually be able to nullify a lot of that threat. But I do, I do think that's a pretty good point and a possibility about BDR starting to bulk up some defense. Cause I think, it's not the worst call, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw BDR come on maybe after 60 minutes to basically drop back and play right wing back and Tete play centre back alongside mm. Diop and Reem like he has done in the past. Yeah. Dad, you're going to say, yeah, what I was going to say was that 
clearly you're relying on Mana Solomon for his attacking possibilities. And he's a real threat going forward. He he's a complete handful. <clears throat> he's not he doesn't seem to be that strong defending and like Messi, maybe you know, you don't rely on him for that. Now I don't think Fulham's strong enough around the park to be able to carry someone and just someone in midfield who goes, Oh, I don't defend. <clears throat> but on the whole, you know, we've got a very a couple of very good people in defensive midfield and Kenny Tete, and there's Diop mm. there as well on that side. So I think, you, you know, he's fast. He's apparently very skillful. I've not seen him play. Apparently very skillful. Um, and he gets in and around and behind people. He's going to do that anyway. But if we manage to block that, and he's already downfield, pop the ball over to Mana Solomon and run like mad. And I'd prefer to be thinking about how how we can attack most effectively and cause them the most trouble rather than trying to pick defensive minded players for every position. My only, my only, my only thing though, is with um, a team, with a team like Sunderland, it's not that much of an issue, but because um, Chelsea have so much talent essentially around the pitch, if you've got two players marking one, that is a very, very dangerous Position to actually put yourself in. As oh, I'm, I'm not to suggesting that going one on one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just, that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just adding on to your point. Yeah, no, and I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even begin to compare and contrast a Sunderland fixture with, you know, sixty-five percent of our starting lineup, which we know is is not even a sum of the parts because. You, you 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 have thirty five percent missing, and it totally unbalances everything because we're mm-hmm. a unit. We are we mm-hmm. rely on being a unit. We don't rely on uh, incredible individual skill like yeah. Chelsea absolutely do, and to a degree, so do Man United, Man City. Right? I mean, they're good and they're a good unit, but they also, even if they were, had terrible form, they'd still give you a lot of trouble. Um, the the other thing about this is that in in addition, as I mentioned before. We've got um, a host of new talent now in, in, in the, I want to say dugout, but on, on, on the bench and around the bench. But you've also got a number of players who are coming back from injury at Chelsea who we didn't meet last time, and they're significant yeah. players. I think Kante's still out for, for a while yet, but I, yeah, believe, right. I believe that... Um, Chilwell um, and and Reese James. Now I'll I'll go to the next slide because I did put this together um, again yesterday, um, but the the news has come out since then that Reese James and uh, Chilwell are both likely to return, which probably means Cucurella and Ziyech drop out of the team. Um, Trevor Chalobah went down with a bit of an injury, but it turns out it was cramp. Sammy, do you think obviously there, there could be a few changes here? Sammy, what are your thoughts on the potential lineup for Chelsea? Do you think this is pretty close to it, or are we going to see something different? Mm, I'd say I don't think Gallagher's starting um, based on everything. I reckon I reckon that uh, left wing is for um, Mudrick. I'd, I'd be surprised actually if Fernandez starts. I mean, I wouldn't be that surprised considering it's Chelsea. Um, yeah, yeah. It, oh, Chelsea could really go any which way, couldn't they? 
I, I can't see I can't see uh, Reese James and Chilwell starting. The, the, I can't. Yeah, one's a, one's a knee injury. You don't just suddenly reappear after a knee injury. So mm. they'll surely this this is they're not playing Man City. They're not playing a European tie here. They'll yes, they'll be part of their pride will want to win this game, no doubt, from a supporter's point of view. But I don't think they'll be looking at this game and thinking we've got to throw everything at it. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure they, they'll be sensible about managing their injuries back. Um, and I, same for, um, what's his name, Chilwell? I think he's got a thigh or hamstring injury mm. or something like that from memory. Yeah, big muscle injuries, you don't you don't throw people straight back in to a Premier League fixture, uh, to a starting position, you might, you might give them fifteen or twenty minutes, but I, I can't see them starting. I think I think if James is kind of fit, he probably would start just because I think he's probably the best right back in the Premier League. That would be the only one I could see them starting, even if he's not at full fitness. But yeah, I can't see Chilwell starting. Can't can't imagine it. Yeah, the well, when you've got Cucurella there, it's probably no need to risk it. The one yeah. interesting one though with with Ziyech, I don't know if you guys were aware, but Ziyech almost moved to PSG. Um, mm. I think it came down to them not getting the deal sheet in in time for him. Um, Sammy, do you? Oh, well, actually, I will throw it to Dad. Do you think Ziyech, having almost been out of the door, do you think he's going to start, or do you think he'll get left out of the side because of that? Oh, who knows? I mean. I don't. I don't know that Potter's a petulant man. I don't think he. Mm. I don't think. He, I think he's a. He's a cool-headed, you know, killer, and I. I don't mm. think he's likely to th throw a tanty just because someone expressed an interest in in leaving or wasn't fully committed. I think he puts his best eleven out if he's fit, if he knows the system, and he does a does a job. I think he picks him. I'd say he's probably closer to an inspiring geography teacher than a killer, but that's just my perspective. Um, yeah. <laughs> fair enough, Sammy. I reckon he'd beat you in a fight still. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> doesn't mean that much, though. <laughs> the, the last one to, to potentially maybe drop out of this lineup as well would be Kai Havertz up front. He's been pretty disappointing recently, and we saw Aubameyang starting to get a few more minutes under his belt. Sammy, do you think Aubameyang is a better option to start up front for Chelsea in, in their current lineup and with the injuries that they've got and the team they're likely to put out? Nope. I think Kai Havertz um, is the most stable option in that position by quite a significant margin. I would say he's probably, like, even though he's not necessarily the most consistent, he's probably their most consistent number <laughs> nine, if you can really even call him that, because he's not a number nine, isn't he? He's... Um, yeah, he's 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 been working in that position more so than any other striker that they've really had in maybe like the past eighteen months, I'd say. So I don't really see a reason to chuck him out of there. Also, I feel that like um, Grand Potter seems to really like him there. It's like I don't I don't really understand what they're doing with Kai Havertz because like he's undeniably a brilliant player, and if there's any player in that side that you could say is extremely consistent in high pressure moments it's it's him by a country mile um but he's not a striker so i don't know why they keep playing in there i think it's more out of necessity because they can't really seem to make any other players work yeah i mean it's Lukaku possible work then if you can't make lukaku and a Yang work you've got a problem 
Yeah, no. Well, it, it's possible. It's hard. It's hard to say, really. Um, I, I think Aubameyang's probably a more talented natural finisher, but Havertz is oh, yeah. is obviously um, a little bit more consistent, maybe. Um, and you know, I, I think there's a few little issues in the background going on at Chelsea at the moment, and I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> well, but, but on top of that, I wouldn't be surprised if you know blokes like Ziyech, someone like Mason Mount. I mean, look in the defence. You've got blokes like Koulibaly who cost—I mm. can't remember exactly how much he cost Chelsea. Um, oh, wow. It was a fortune, small fortune though, and he's not getting a run out in this team. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting one. Go you know on, how, like, you know how, like, um, Arsenal, Man City, even us to an extent. There's really kind of like a key kind of like thread to like the way in which we play slash. Like Man-, Man City's whole thing is like the system is actually bigger than the players. And so like your players all have to be able to play that system. I don't really know what Chelsea's system actually is, but it seems to be very detrimental to a lot of players going forward. Because you're right, Aubameyang is a phenomenal striker. He's established that at every club that he's actually been in. But for some strange reason, Chelsea and strikers just do not work. It's it's but it's been a real consistent thread. Isn't it in, isn't it interesting that um, Abramovich came in through enormous amounts of money at it, and it didn't work for quite a while, right? It didn't work, and it, it was curious to look at because he had so much money, so much talent, and yet they weren't a unit. And they get rid of Abramovich, and we've got another three hundred fifty million pounds spent in. Not that they had a terrible squad that needed massive replenishing, but another three hundred and fifty million pounds spent and in another desperate attempt. Is is this the same thing all over again? I'd say it's a bit deeper than that. I think um I think when you have a club that because I think um Chelsea have been really lacking identity over like the past I'd say maybe like four years. I know they've won a Champions League, but that was a bit of a that was a bit of a you're playing tournament football well and you bring in somebody like Thomas Tuchel who knows how to do that. Um, but, yeah, they've had a real re- kind of – Jack, I mean, you'd probably know this better than I would, but it feels like ever since, like, Havertz left, Chelsea really don't kind of know what they are, how they play, and how they do it. It's kind of – yeah, it's, they've been very, very inconsistent and very weird. And it, no, now you kind said of- – you said Havertz left. I don't know who you actually mean. Do you mean oh, sorry, sorry, Hazard. Hazard. No, Hazard. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, After Hazard left and went to Rail, I feel that there was a. It was beginning of like a lot of undoing. It's it's a tough one when you're a team like a team like this in one of those big six teams, if you will, uh, where you're expected to always win the league, win the Champions League, and if you don't, then change happens. Players come in, players go out. Um, you know, th- these these top players want to be at clubs that are challenging for titles, and if you're not, they'll leave. Um, mm. But you've got a very short space of time to get them to buy into the project and buy into the manager and buy into all their other teammates. And so if you don't get it right, like Chelsea haven't got it right for quite a long time now, mm. um, it all falls to pieces. And so they tried Thomas Tuchel, who is, you know, this German manager who's done great things over there, um, didn't quite work out. I think, again, if he'd been given a bit longer, it probably would have worked out, but he needed 
two years. And the problem when you're a club like this, and if you guys have the opportunity, you should watch um, a documentary on the Super League, um, mm. the, the Super League that was around a couple of years ago. Um, and they talk about these clubs, these big clubs, and how they were talking to, you know, the, the CEOs, the chairmen of these big clubs, and they basically said, if we miss out on the Champions League, we're buggered. Like, we rely so much on the money that comes in from making the Champions League if if we don't get to to that point, the the club just folds financially and is literally mm. on the brink. And we see it with teams like Barcelona when they don't win trophies, how much trouble they're in financially. Um, you know, there there are bottomless pits like Man City, but even then, like it's it's tough. And because there's so much change, they just don't have any stability anymore. And you look at this Chelsea team and compare it to a team, a Chelsea team of even just three years ago. I think maybe Mason Mount is the only person in that lineup I've got on the screen there who was there three years ago. Yeah. Maybe Z. Yeah. But I think what is really comforting to know from all of this is that Chelsea are a great example of a team and a club that seem to want to leapfrog the concept of team. They, yeah. It's an enterprise. It's an enterprise. They, mm. They're des- desperate for success. They throw money at it. They, they get very frustrated. They have massive egos. They have huge expectations. And when it doesn't work out, the manager's out the door. They tear up a whole bunch of contracts. They ship players out. They bring new players in. But they don't seem to be wedded to the idea of building a great mm. team. And it shows. It shows. Like Fulham, if we're anything, we're a unit. You know, Leicester, oh, a few years ago. Mm. Uh, even Newcastle. Have you looked look at the business Newcastle have done in this last transfer window, really minimal, mm. you know, because I think they, uh, I think Eddie Howe's got plenty of money behind him, but I genuinely think he's trying to build something. Yeah. Um, and he's, and maybe, maybe they've got so much money and the management, the culture at the top of the club, that's what I'm actually talking about, is not one of impatience. They're taking a longer term view. When those new owners came in, they said five years before they win anything at, at Newcastle, right? And mm. I think, um, to be fair to Man United, to Liverpool and Man City, all those teams do actually try and build, and Tottenham, they do try to build teams and units. And Chelsea don't seem to do that. They seem mm. to be, it, it doesn't seem to be in their blood. But if you, if you think about it like, like a business, um, if, if you're running a business and you weren't getting results and, you, you know, you put these people in positions to get your results and they don't get them for you, they're not delivering. You, you do fire them and you move on and you find the next person. No, no, yeah. but you, you know what you do? You know what you do? You hire a CEO that has a great culture because it trickles down. And if you, if you hire a, a maniac who's just really great at sales but beats people up and mistreats everyone, you might pull it off, but you probably end up with a terrible culture and a revolving door. I think there's just so many variables when you're a football club. You've got your manager, who is this this CEO who has to put the culture in place. You've got your backroom staff that he then brings in him. Because you've got to remember as well, when a manager gets fired, there 10 coaches walk out the door at the same time. And a new manager comes in and brings 10 new people, and it's a completely different culture. Players, you know, think about someone like um, Mitro and how he would have felt under Scott Parker compared to Mitro under Marco Silva. 
And you you think about that times 30-odd players at your club and how players will sometimes get on with the manager and sometimes just not get on with the manager. And all Mm. of a sudden, someone who was a starter isn't getting minutes anymore and might have a lot of influence in a change room. And all of a sudden, he's turning people against. And you see these player rebellions all the time in, in the Premier League, especially. But that's very much the point, Jack, That, and I think we're sort of vehemently agreeing with each other. Mm. But mm. Sil- Silver, fantastic implementer of culture, proven. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think the Khans um, becoming very stable owners that aren't uh, – they don't knee-jerk anymore, um, and I think they're taking a longer-term view. But that's all – connected with their level of comfort with silver success right and he's the way he does things i was thinking about that before as well mm-hmm. you know i i love i love what's happening here that you could bring lukic i mean he looks i don't want to jump too far ahead because we're going to talk about him but a number of players that he's already brought in and it seems like fulham's starting to become a factory of turning players with good potential into great team members one thing that's that something I also, really special. One thing that I also really want to touch on, um, piggybacking actually off of what Jack said, because I think it's actually a really good point, and I think it um, relates to us in a really awesome way, is because Jack's 100% right. Chelsea is a franchise. Man United is a franchise. They need to make Champions League for revenue, but really all they're actually doing is in the business of creating more revenue. I mean, they are yeah. run by... Um, Americans who really see it as like a business. There's a whole thing that uh, Chelsea is actually doing right now with extended contracts, which is a very um, important lucrative business move for them, which actually takes a lot of like the fun out of sport. But what it does kind of really highlight is the Premier League really has become a very us versus them thing. And I'm really glad that we're on the us side and not the them side because it makes it all the more sweeter when we give them a serious run because we are a solid unit of like passionate underdogs playing in a system that works for us and it, it's just it's just the best isn't it it's like it's like when you actually feel that you can have a proper run against essentially these um, dirty capitalists like, i think um, it's great. everyone loves to be a supporter of a winning club and so most supporters will take anyway but there's nothing as satisfying mm. as winning um, in a format that we've got at the moment, you know? Yeah, it's just hollow, isn't it, when you're supporting, like, these big six clubs? Because like, Well, know. before we move on, a, qu- a quick question based on what we've just talked about um, for both of you, and keep, keep the answer short if you can. Um, if we're talking about, you know, churn how much is expected of managers and they need to get results to stay in the role. And we're talking about how the Khan seem to be a little bit more stable than that. If Marco Silva and Fulham have a poor second half of the season, and let's say we drop down to 16th, for example, does Marco Silva keep his job? Um, I would say yes, not, not, not purely because I like Marco Silva, but I would say if, if we get relegated that is a different story. If we mm. drop down because of a, of a run of maybe seven or eight poor results, we could suddenly find ourselves, you know, six places lower easily. I'm saying, you um, know, for example, and it's not out of the question, we only win yeah. 
two yeah. out of our remaining 18 games this season. Um, I, and it's enough, it to, it's enough it's to... It's unlikely, but safe. it could happen. Yeah, but, yeah. but the question is... I think do, it would say... stick with Marco? I, I think they do. I think they do. Mm. I think he's done enough. I think... Um, I think that would surely it requires analysis. And why did that happen when we were doing so well? Something's obviously gone wrong, uh, whatever that may be, and whether we're in control of that or not. But I don't. I think he's done enough to prove that he is a good person to have around for a team of Fulham's sort of position in the in the in this universe. I think that. Um... Shahid Khan is playing a very long-term game with uh, Fulham and its development. And I think if I think it doesn't really matter what happens as long as we essentially uh, don't get relegated. And then next season, if we start to slip and we start to fall down the table, I think that's a different conversation because I think Shahid Khan likes the idea of Fulham being a mid-table team and he's been playing a very calculated game over the last couple of years, very kind of like cautiously, very methodically to actually get us to that point because I think he wants to be at the table with the big boys and the other big clubs and kind of rub shoulders with them and be in that position and be that team owner. And I think um, the better we do from really now onwards I think that is that is his mind. Um, I am stealing a bit of this from Fulmish. I feel like they covered this. I feel like I'm regurgitating a little bit. But I do think that that actually is how he's thinking and how he wants Fulham to progress. And if it's not progressing, I feel that, yeah, Marco Silva's probably not going to be around because he wants to progress. It's it's an interesting one. I hope we don't have to answer the question because I, I yeah. think realistically we, we are safe. And I, I personally think even if we dropped to 16th, it would be a pretty poor second half of the season, but um, I'd be hoping that surviving is more than enough, and that's what the Khans have been mm. looking for 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 years now. So the yeah. fact that we would actually stay in the Premier League means that we have the ability to, you know, push on and, and build from there. So I, I think mm. he'd be a beer stayer. I think we're all agreed with that. But it'd be an inter- interesting um, conversation to have if, hopefully, like I said, it doesn't happen. So, look, guys, what we'll do, we'll take a quick break um for our live viewers we're going to chuck on uh some highlights of the last time Fulham played Chelsea the 2-1 win uh when we come back we're going to talk about the uh transfers that have just been finalized last night and uh look ahead with a prediction for the Chelsea game played down the right hand side this is dangerous we're into the box it's squared across it's a great block from Tossin, but there's a second opportunity and a good save for Bert Leno yeah I think it's, it's dangerous in that sort of situation there there's got to be Here a we go. way here's Vinicius slides it for Bobby Decadova Reed always hit the frame of the goal and come out here's William onto the right foot just open right up for Fulham Pushes it out for Bobby Decadova Reed, right hand side of the penalty area. A little step over, but uh, Lewis Hall was there, but Bobby's taking it back off him. The cross coming in. Chalabar glanced ahead of it straight to William onto the right foot. The shot oh, is yeah. in there! There it is! 1 0 to Fulham, and it's William against one of his former clubs. About 10 yards in from this near touchline, left hand side of the penalty area. Mason Mount, well, he went for goal. Oh, Bert Leno saved it. No, he hasn't. The referee listens to the uh, 
message in his ear. The ball's crossed the line. To Kovacic, back to uh, Thiago Silva, to Koulibaly. Forward towards Felix. Well, he's lunged in there on Kenny Tetti because the ball got away from him. He couldn't quite control it. It's a red. It's a straight red. They're down to ten men. Here's William, left-hand channel. Slides it in towards Vinicius. Back for Polina. Pushes it for Kenny Tetti. Right-hand side. Back for Pereira. Whips the cross in first time. Vinicius. Yeah! He's done it! Oh! <laughs> Vinicius with the header. It's 2-1 to Fulham. Uh, I miss I you, that. Jim. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the one the one thing that was so great about watching games from from Australia was listening to Gentleman Jim's commentary every time we played. But <laughs> I, I was I was actually after the game searching for his commentary on that goal because I just knew he'd go nuts at it, and that was actually quite reserved for Gentleman Jim, I think, <laughs> especially the first goal. Um, good little comment from William there as well. Uh, still get chills watching those highlights, and I agree as well. Yeah, it's it's one of those ones it? where you know. Oh, it's just such a good win and such a good way to go about getting that win as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, look, we're back. So let's have a quick chat about the transfer news because, as I said, the transfer window closed well, last night. What was it, about 7 a.m. this morning? So we all woke up to the to the news of uh, the confirmation of a couple of transfers. We sort of knew were coming in for a while. Let's have a look at the ins. So we have three confirmed transfer in. Cedric Suarez on loan from Arsenal. He's a right-back, can also play a little bit left-back and centre-back as well. Um, he came to Arsenal from Southampton. I think he cost them about 12, maybe 15 million pounds at the time. He's not got as many chances in, in the last few years as he probably would have liked, so I think this loan deal works out quite well for him. It's just to the end of the season, and unlike some of our other loans we've had previously, there's no option to buy on this one. Um, Sammy, because of that, do you think this is just a a little stopgap to basically replace Mbappé? Yeah, it's just a means to an end. I mean, um, he's on pretty high wages and like I can, un I, I don't think there was ever going to be really that much of a conversation of um, getting him in full time. I think as well for our system, I'm not necessarily sure if he's exactly the player that we wanted. I think he's stable, his Premier League experience, which counts for basically everything especially when you're looking at a loan deal like this um yeah i'm i'm not i'm not expecting a whole bunch from him i'm expecting consistency i'm expecting stability but i can't see him really starting over tete at all and nor kind of should i he's he's really just there to essentially just hold down the fort and yeah, mm. if he gets minutes great um dad part of the suarez deal was um making one of our loans permanent because you're only allowed two domestic loans per season. Currently had, well, we did have Shane Duffy and Dan James uh, as our loan players. Shane Duffy last night was confirmed as being made permanent. He's only been given a six-month contract, so effectively till the end of the season, which is when his deal with Brighton runs out as well. Do you think that was the right move? Do you think we needed to keep Shane Duffy and do you think making him permanent made sense in this instance? Um, this is pure business mechanics. You know, we, yeah. we had, in order to be compliant with the rules, 
um, we needed to somehow lose one of our domestic loans. And it would have been an economic comparison between Shane Duffy and Dan James. And I don't know the details, but obviously um, maybe it was cheaper to convert Dan James permanently. Maybe um, they, they feel that they can on-sell him if they don't need him. Maybe they think long-term they are happy to keep him around. So on balance, it's a good deal to have him in, even though they weren't planning to but they had to make a decision. So it, it was really between who do they make permanent from a tactical perspective between Duffy and, and James. And for mm. whatever the, the background to all of that is, you know, Duffy's the man. Um, it, it's, I mean, you know, Cedric's on pretty tasty wages, £65,000 a week. That's yeah. a lot of insurance money, isn't it? I mean, mm. as you say, um, Tete surely is undroppable at the moment um mm. but with the way in which he plays and the risk involved in the encounters that he's involved in he's already had an injury which was very costly to us if you think about the run we had after he was injured it was very very mm -hmm. costly so i think that the team at fulham have decided that's not going to happen we're not going to be exposed to that again and we're going to plug this gap and we're going to try and make something permanent perhaps uh, by the end of or some sometime into next year, next season. And, okay, well, if it's £65,000 with no upside and a dry loan, that's just business. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's very sensible. It's very unemotional. It seems expensive, but they've obviously done a risk assessment and gone, we cannot risk being vulnerable and having a mm. broken back line and having to rely on the likes of maybe Mbabu and not to dump on Mbabu, but he's just, you know, it doesn't fit um, either the, the, the level of quality that we need or he, he doesn't work. And so it's a whole plug. Mm. I think an interesting thing here as well, we, we obviously have uh, on the left and right back, we've got our starters in Robinson and Tete. Um, left back, we have a backup in Kazawa. Right back, we have a backup in Mbabu as well. Suarez is he's a right back first and foremost, but uh, he can play left back as well. So at that point, bringing in someone like him means we do have coverage, two players covering right and left back, which is kind of kind of helps us out massively. Now, if you look at our defence, we've got two players able to cover every single position because you've also got mm. behind... Reem and Diop, we've got Tosin and Duffy. Now, obviously, you hope that you don't have to use your complete backup um, back four, but it does mean we've just got that little bit of extra squad depth, which we were crying out for um, before this transfer window and, uh, you know, in the very first transfer window as well. And I guess the other one to talk about where we, we sort of went into the season going, we're really light on in this position, is that defensive midfield spot where we have Polina and Reed, and then behind it was basically just Onoma and Chalaba who were championship players, um, you know, first and foremost. They weren't Premier League players. Um, so, Dad, your thoughts on bringing in someone of the quality of Sasalukic? Obviously, we've all seen that four-minute highlight video about how great he is, but uh, are you excited to see someone like this join the club? Because obviously in the last, you know, seven years where we've been up and down from the Premier League to the championship over and over again, it's been hard to really attract players who look super high quality, but Sasa does look high quality. 
Oh, I'm really excited about this. And I think what's very deceptive is how step by small step we're doing, we're actually building something of really good quality here mm. that perhaps, you know, two years ago, we just, we just weren't in a position to be able to attract these kinds of players. So, you know, you do a bit as in Fulham, you show some success and it's literally, it's a little, little, I was going to say Ponzi scheme, like a little pyramid, pyramid scheme, Metro gang, who are your mates? You know, Pereira, who are your mates? Um, and and I think it's very personal. I think a, a lot of these, and 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 also, Silva's got a lot of mates as well. But you know, we are becoming the Portuguese little ghetto of uh, SW6, aren't we? Mm. Well, I mean, just to go back to the the team lineup that we had before, if you chuck Lukic in where Harrison Reed is currently, uh, and you look at it that way. Um, we've got, oh, sorry, wrong slide. Um, you have Willian Pereira Polina, uh, all Portuguese speakers, and mm. quite a tight knit group outside of, oh, sorry, off the pitch. And then you'd have, in place of Reem, Lukic and Mitrovic, who Lukic in his interview basically said, you know, he's really excited to be playing alongside his great friend Mitro. Mm. Um, and then Solomon obviously is new to the team, but. I think when you play as excitingly as he does, you're, you're going to make friends quite quickly. But the fact is we're going to have, um, you know, a couple of little pods there. You've got your little American pod at left back and centre back. Um, it's, it's starting to see like a bit, of, a, a bit of character inside this Fulham team. And I know we've had a bit yeah. of character before in the past in the championship, but we've not seen it in the Premier League for a long time since mm. I'm talking back to the European run of 09-10 when there, it did feel like there were these little clusters of players who were just like really good mates on and off the field and just worked so well together on the field. And I think we're starting to see that being built at the moment. Right. Yeah, it's tremendous. Awesome. And it or, is or team, isn't it? It comes back to that. No, I'm just, just chiming in enthusiastically, but it is back <laughs> to that thing of cult, culture and team. And it's, mm. you know, it trumps everything every time. Mm. Yeah, I do. I do want to. I do want to touch on it as well. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I did want to bring it up on the pod. I'm glad we're doing that. Um, I, I, I do think it's very, very interesting what Silver's doing, and essentially, do he is creating like little pockets in like the side of. I mean, he's catering to Mitrovic now by including another Serbian. We have our Portuguese side. We have um, an American side. Now, that's not new to Fulham, but it's just interesting the way that he's doing it and the way in which it's orchestrating. I don't really know how like effective that, that actually is or if that's a tried and tested thing with inside. The only comparison I can think of is maybe Wolves a couple of years ago when basically their entire team under Nuna was Portuguese. Was, um, yeah, and that was really, really, really um, lucrative for them. So there must be something in it. And, like, obviously, um, uh, Silva uh, speaks Portuguese because he is Portuguese. So I think that... Yeah, well, I, I was going to say Silva speaks Portuguese, but on top of that, his whole backroom staff is Portuguese as well. I yeah. think there's only um, one guy, and his name escapes me at the moment, who's um, the, the the defensive coach, who's an Englishman. Uh, mm. But, you know, you've got Boa Morte, who's his assistant manager. There, there's a lot of Portuguese speakers there. So it does make sense. And, you know, when you're talking to someone like Suarez is Portuguese as well. 
you're yeah. talking to these guys and saying, you know, what's one of the reasons you should come here? We all speak Portuguese. It's kind of great when you're, it's mm. your, English is your second you language know, and you can talk to the coaches a lot more, uh, a lot more fluently about the tactics and what they expect from you because they're speaking, they're literally speaking your language. Mm. I, I think it's cl cleverer than that. It, it's like we probably overlook the fact that if you live in Europe, uh, you can speak a bit of English. You're mm. not uncomfortable with jumping over to the, you know, the, uh, to, to France and going to Italy and all this sort of stuff. And everyone's pretty comfortable in the EU, right? But if you are, um, I don't know, Brazilian or um, a, a, a sort of a young guy who can only speak Portuguese, got no English at all, moving to England is a big thing. And I mm. think if you can open your arms and not only chat to them and, and have a number of people in the team chat to them and sort of make them feel really comfortable about what they're coming into. I think it's incredibly uh, beneficial. It's not surprising mm. the number of South American, you know, Spanish-speaking players that go and play in Spain and mm. um, the number of uh, Brazilian people who go and play in, in Portugal. Yeah. It's a thing. Oh, but, definitely. Um, yeah, go on, Sammy. Oh yeah, it's definitely a thing. But it's it's one of those things where I think it actually says quite a lot about a manager to cater to these players so much because typically you'll see managers come in and they'll 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 be like uh, Antonio Conte for example. And when you're Antonio Conte, you have an Antonio Conte team. Or like if you're Scott Parker, for example, I know it's I know it's a bad one, but like you have a bad Scott Parker team and it is a Scott Parker team. It's interesting what Silva's doing where he does seem to be kind of like curating kind of a team for his players. I think um, Sasa Lukic is actually kind of an ingenious signing. And I also think Shane Duffy is actually an ingenious signing as well because from all accounts, everyone seems to really like Shane Duffy. Like he seems like quite a lovable guy and he seems to be very well liked in um, the dressing room. So I think that's probably the reason why he's edged out James. Not saying that like people dislike James at all, but like I, I think he is particularly well liked and I think that's good for morale. And yeah, it's, I, I, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I, Cause I'm, yeah, I haven't really seen many other managers actually curate a team for their players as much. So I don't really know if it's a, that much of a thing. The point is, I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I think all successful teams have managers who do that and, and get a good environment in place. So, but one thing that's that's proving that um, it's, a, it's a good place to be at the moment, I don't know if you saw there was uh, an interview with Willian's agent and he said that Willian had basically had offers in this transfer window from a couple of big teams saying, geez, we thought he was done. Um, uh, but he's proved that he can still do it at the top level. We'd like him to come and sign for us. And Willian said, I'm not leaving Fulham. I love it here. I'm not going. Yeah. So that that to me is proof. And we see it in the fact that we're not losing any of our big players. We saw that Man City were interested in uh, in Robinson. We saw even Harry Wilson, who's obviously part of the squad still. There was some interest from Middlesbrough in bringing him in. Um, you know, Mitro's scored a lot of goals this season and, but he didn't leave the club. Polina is obviously a beast. We we obviously put a marker straight down early on because 
Liverpool and Spurs both said they were interested and we've just said no, he's not going. Mm. So yeah. I think that's that's proof as well that we've got a, a happy dressing room. Let's mm. let's move on though and talk about a couple of outgoing transfers. These were not not unexpected, but also not overly expected. Um, but having brought in Lukic, it does sort of make sense. Um, Nathaniel Chalaber uh, left, went to West Brom. Believe it was on a free. Um, again, we've we've rarely seen him this season. I think he's only made a handful of appearances, most of them off the bench. Um, Josh Onema, um agreed to terminate his contract. Um, mm. A couple of hours later, it was announced that he was signing for Preston North End. Uh, again, no money for Fulham there, but we, we're clearing out a bit of wage below. I can't imagine either of those guys were on less than thirty or forty thousand pounds a week. So it, it does create a bit of space. And then a, a small one there, Connor McAvoy. Uh, went to Partick Thistle on loan. He's a centre-back playing for the under-21s at the moment. So good to see some of the young players going out and getting a bit of experience as well. Uh, the one that isn't mentioned there, Anthony Knockart, we obviously know he left and went to Huddersfield earlier this earlier in the window as as an outgoing transfer. Um, as I said, Dad, you know, we, we didn't lose any big players. Do you think losing Chalibur and Onomo is going to weaken the squad in any way or do you think we're covered by bringing in Lukic? Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Sam, sorry, same, sorry. Jeff. Same question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I. Am so Dad aware. said yes, and you said yeah. Okay. I am aware glad. I, glad I asked that question. Cool. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was that was unfair. That was deeply unfair. I don't know what possessed me to just do that, but um, they're just not Premier League quality. And whilst we desperately need them as backup, it, it's almost like uh, he never wanted to bring them on. And when he did, it was an unfortunate. I, it was an unfortunate situation that developed for Chalabar, and because he wasn't up to it, he dived in. My analysis, mm. he dived in, mm. and created a bigger problem for himself and for Silver to bring him back on again. And Josh Onham has been used a few times, and he's not at that level. That's my long. Answer. I, I think. One thing to say is the both of these players almost left the club in the summer transfer window. Um, sure. And they, they obviously only really stayed because Silver just said, I don't have enough squad depth to lose both of these players. At that point, we'd be having to play someone from the under-21s, which isn't the worst thing in the world sometimes. But I think when you're trying to stay in the league, it is. I think mm. now if, for example, Harrison Reed got injured and you had to have one of the under-21s players sitting on your bench it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because, you know, we're, we, we're getting by at that point and we've sort of made a decision there on our squad depth that we've, we've got enough. Um, like you say, these, these guys are championship players, nothing against them. Then we, they showed how good they are in the championship as well. But as backup Premier League midfielders, I don't think they were quite up to it. Um, and again, great championship players, but there's obviously quite a big step there and they weren't able to, to transition up to up to the Premier League. Um, well, if you think so about where I, we've now arrived, sorry, Jack, if you think about where we've now arrived with Lukic coming in, you now have potentially Harrison Reed taking the position of Chalabar and Onoma yeah. uh, as a backup to Lukic should he establish himself. And so I think that gives you a good feeling as to how we've stepped up. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's a big, big difference when your bench player who's taking this spot is Harrison Reed, because he he's, you know, 
a marked improvement on either of these guys. He's someone who impressed the last time we were in the Premier League as, as probably our player of the season. Um, and this this year he's been kind of uh, indispensable. Um, and so when you have someone with that ability to come off the bench for you, you know, we were talking in November about him potentially getting picked for England. And now yeah. he's potentially going to be a bench player for us. So that's that's what, you know, the big teams are talking about most of the time. When you've got teams like Chelsea having people like Mason Mount sitting on the bench who's starting for England, um, we, we're getting to that point now, which is kind of exciting to see us making moves in the transfer window to get us there. You know when you're like 13 and like you're interested in somebody and you think, wow, they're amazing. It's very much in the mindset of like a 13-year-old. So they were great when we were in the championship, but we've gotten a little bit older. We've progressed. We've gotten into a new stage of our lives. It doesn't diminish anything that they've done for us and with us. That part's great, but we have moved on and we're on to bigger and better things. God bless you. Move on. I think that's fair. Um, it still surprises me that somehow Nathaniel Chalaba did get an England cap as well. What? Just crazy. When? Yeah. 2018. When? Oh, my God. When did when that he was playing? He had a very good spell at Watford, who, which is who he signed him from. Um, he, he was he was very, very good at Watford and, and got called up to the England squad and made, a, made an appearance in a friendly. Oh, my goodness. Right place, right time. Jesus. Pretty much. Um, right. Well, I think we've wrapped up all the transfers there. Um, well, there are obviously a couple. Can I just make sorry, one, one comment, Jack? Sorry, one yeah. little comment, which I meant to make before, which I think is I- interesting. Did you know that Cedric is one meter 71 or two, like five, eight? He's super short. I'm you about Solomon. That Solomon's five, six. That's rough, Sam. Uh, I'm about six, two in heels, Sam. Come on. <laughs> Everyone's the same height sitting down. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> No, I didn't. I didn't know that. But then again, wingbacks are never super tall. I, Kenny Tete can't mm. be more than more than six foot. I wouldn't have thought. I reckon he's about five eleven. Yeah. He's quite large um, for a yeah. right back as well. Yeah, um, but then you've got people like Dan Byrne, who's six four at left back as well. So, yeah. Um, right, moving hey. on. Our final segment: Sam split second snap. Sammy, I heard you spruiking something earlier today. Um, Trying to yes. trying to get my reaction for, so I'm going to stay stony faced throughout. That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. It's kind of been slightly spoiled, but you know what? This section's for the viewers. You know, like, and again, if you can come, I up need with to get closer name, to the camera so they can see my eyes rolling. <laughs> and again, if you can come up with a better name, I'm all ears. I'm just going to keep on putting that out there. So, so, anyone who's seen the film Argo, great. Okay, so essentially, so the theme is, the theme is Fulham are on tour in an unnamed dubious country. Let's just say Mongolia, because I don't think that they really have that much beef with anybody. They're just kind of sitting there. So they're the dubious country. All right. So suddenly Mongolia is having a revolution and they're stranded. Okay. So there are X numbers of seats left on the last plane and passports to match. But the only way they're going to get out on the last flight is for the Fulham players to pose as certain professions. So the game is we have a number of professions, and for each profession, you're given three Fulham players, 
And you have to pick which is the most plausible to do that profession out of the three Fulham players. Okay, so let's get into it. I can see Jack's already having an aneurysm. I'm having fun. Okay, so student geography teacher, <laughs> Harry Wilson, Rodak, and Dan James. Who's your pick? Oh, Dan James. With a, I can see him in a cardigan, without a doubt. I'm picking Rodak because he seems awkward, and I could see him being a very bullyable student geography teacher. <laughs> nah, I'm picking picking Harry Wilson. Harry I don't think Harry Wilson's got a bit of geek about him. See, <laughs> you guys, you guys make fun of this, and yet every time you have very specific opinions about this. Okay, the engineer on the plane. So you have to choose between Leno, Diop, and Polina. Leno, hundred percent German. He's, he, he's, he looks like he's he's a robot in the first place. He he would know the ins and outs of everything on that plane. He'd read a manual before he got on a plane, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, who, who am I picking from again? Leno, Diop, Diop. and Pelina. Um, oh, Pelina look, Pelina, I think Pelina could he could pass as a as a nerdy sort of techie guy. I think mm-hmm. Leno's the hands down favorite yeah, and everyone else would have to rugby tackle him for it yeah yeah no i think that one's probably the most obvious okay the chef kenny tete harrison reed or shane duffy uh, if you've ever worked in a kitchen uh, as well that makes it even funner to just kind of because like i feel that all of these guys really could be a chef in a <laughs> random kitchen yeah harrison reed doesn't have enough tats. He has none, no tats, to my knowledge. I think uh, D- Duffy probably wouldn't fit under the exhaust sort of canopy because he's too tall, but he does potentially have the look. Um, Shane Duffy's the one for me. I feel like I've seen yeah. Shane Duffy in a kitchen like four times. Yeah. 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 I guess Shane Duffy. Jack? Yeah. Yeah, I think Shane Duffy just has that oily look about him. <laughs> He stood over a deep fryer for a bit. Oh, Not in a bad way, just, God yeah. Bless him. God bless him. No, he knows, how to, him he knows how to fry stuff. Okay. Okay, so Shane Duffy's in a fish and chip shop. Great. Um, the veterinarian, Kazawa, Willian, or Bobby Decadova Reed? I wouldn't want any of them trying to take care of an animal, to be honest. You've got to remember, you got to remember, it's yeah. who can pose. Who can pose. Yeah. Um, I've never seen say, a vet with dreadlocks or an afro. No, I, I, I think I think I could see William being like a dog, dog, a dog whisperer. Yeah, because he's got that aura about it. I think he would nuzzle up to a dog and make a very dangerous dog melt in his hands, and then he'd have a little giggle. I yeah, think you're painting a very sweet picture of William. Kazawa for me. I, I can't. I can't see the other two posing as a vet. I just think they're too cool. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. The software developer, Cabano, Solomon, or Mitrovic. Mitrovic is actually my pick for the software developer. No, Solomon. I think there's a bit of nerd about Solomon. I think he's a bit nerdy. A bit of nerd. Yeah, well, uh, I think because he's very slight as well. I think he'd probably get away with it. I don't think um, there are many software developers built built like Mitro. No, no. Yeah, I go, I go, I go, Solomon. 
Okay. And my last bonus round question. If you just had to get one of the Fulham players to do your taxes and knowing that they were going to do it badly, which one would you pick? Knowing that you would, they would do it badly. Why, why would you get someone to do it badly? Because they're all going to do it badly because they're Premier League footballers, but you just got to pick one. Just be like, I you just mean you which, which Fulham player would do my taxes. Yeah. Sorry, are we picking the Fulham player who do the taxes, the, the best job of the taxes or the worst? Just just the one that you would trust. I think most. he means who do you think would do the best job? Okay. I'm picking Reem just purely because I couldn't get angry with him even if he did mess up my taxes. I'd be like, well, thank you for your service, Mr. Reem. You, you, you do love him. Well, Reem's okay. definitely, he definitely gets a sensible kind of award. He's very Mr. Sensible. Yeah. Uh, Tom Kearney, too much of a joker. I mean, Mitro would be doing that while he... He'd be, he'd be laughing about how much he's going to make you pay. Mm-hmm. Um, Pereira hasn't Anthony featured Robinson. in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think cool. he's, I'm Good pretty call. sure he's quite a smart cookie. I don't know if you've ever seen yep. the, the magic trick that he does, which is quite impressive. Um, I, I, reckon, I reckon Robinson's got some brains there, and I reckon he's a bit of a number bot as well. I, I, I'd like to see him do my taxes. Yeah, that's a good call. And that's the segment. How fun was that? Didn't we love that? Did we organize the time? It's like art attack, isn't it? It's great. <laughs> it wasn't the worst. It could have been could have been worse, more like. I love how you secretly love this section and you're never gonna admit it, and that just makes me happy. Come on. Um <laughs> so guys look uh, a, a good good podcast to talk about the uh, upcoming Chelsea game. I think we're all looking forward to watching that. Sam, are you going to be able to watch it not in the car this time? Oh, yeah. Well, it's Saturday, so I'm going to be able to Oh, of course it is, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually going to be able to watch this properly, and I'm very, very excited for that. I'm going to be uh, pretending that I'm helping out Tegan by feeding Lola overnight, saying, no, don't worry, I'll take the 4 a.m. feed, uh, just to help (laughs) you out and let you have a really nice sleep, so uh, I won't tell her that the game's on Friday night. Um, But... Like uh, it should should be a really good game, and I, I'm really looking forward to. It. I, I'm, I, I think for me, for me, I think we're looking at a, a potentially good result. I'm not 100 percent sure we're going to get a win here, but I could definitely see a, a one-all draw. I think in this one, I think it's going to be a lot tighter than last game. Obviously, Chelsea won't have ten men. We wouldn't have thought, especially not from as early as they did. Um, but I think, you know, Fulham have been performing really well recently. So I, I'm predicting one all in this one. Sammy, what are your thoughts for the, the result in the Fulham-Chelsea game? Well, we've already we've already climbed the mountain, haven't we? I mean, we can climb the mountain again. I'm, uh, it'll be, it would definitely be sweet. But, like, uh, we, we, we've, we've tasted the cracker. So it, it puts us in a bit of a weird – it puts me, at least, in a bit of a weird state for this game – course i'm excited of course like when the game actually starts my brain my brain chemistry is gonna like flick back into oh shit i actually really want this sorry swing um but like it's it it nothing will really compare to that first time around when we had all the hope in the world and we did it so i i can't i feel that the boys are still gonna like be up for this i oh what am i gonna predict yeah, I'm gonna back my boys. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say two one again. I'm gonna say two one. I think it's gonna be tight, and methodical, and yeah, I'm I'm, I'm gonna back them. I'm gonna say two one for us. 
Dad, your thoughts? I'm, I'm going to say I'm saying we're going to win. We're going to win two one. Um, we're going to score first. They're going to score. We'll go into halftime one all each, and in the second half, Solomon's going to run into the box, create havoc, draw a penalty. Mitro's going to wrestle the ball off someone, and the keeper's going to go the right way, and he's going to hit the side netting. Okay, I like the sound of that. Yeah. Uh, Story complete. If that happens, I'm coming to you for a lotto ticket next week. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so, I predicted Harrison Reed scoring, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Kenny Tete is going to score. I think I think we're going to be blindsided. Yeah, because I feel like nobody's <laughs> going to be watching him the whole game, and that's just going to free him up to do something. Because Dan, uh, not Dan James, Reese James isn't really going to be overly bothered with Kenny Tete, in my opinion. So then Kenny Tete is just going to swoop in. It's going to be great. It's going to be mayhem. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, well, we'll hopefully touch base early next week. Maybe we might even be able to put out a podcast on Saturday afternoon, seeing as the game's on a Friday night. Uh, most yeah. likely, I'd say we'll probably record again on Sunday uh, for release on Sunday. So, look, anyone who's listening to this, um, on Sunday at about, well, I can't say the exact time, but Sunday afternoon, Perth time, so early morning in the UK, um, early evening over east. We're hoping to do another live podcast. We'd love to have a few more people join on, uh, send in some questions and interact with us while we're recording. Make sure you like and follow and subscribe to us on all our social media. We're now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, we're pretty much everywhere. So so make sure you subscribe so that when we do go live, you don't miss it and you get notified. Uh, it'd be great to have a few more people, like I said, join on and, um, and get involved with the podcast. So, look, until next time, Dad, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. And, Sammy, thank you. Yeah, that has been great. Thanks for having me. And, as always, come on, you whites. <laughs>